to shift what are our priorities to God's priorities. And in that message, Kurt also shared with us that it doesn't matter how young or old we may be, we can still make at least a little shift. And he reminded us that if we're not dead, we're not done. If we're not dead, we're not done. And then Kurt shared with us our need to shift our relationship with each other. To begin to shift from thinking about what are my needs to what are your needs. To shift from a perspective of me, me, me to we, we, we. All the way home. I didn't mean for that to happen. (laughs) I get a do-over at 11.15, don't I? (laughs) Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Oh, Lord, please. Come, Lord Jesus, come. (laughs) Uh, Did you preach last week, Kurt? Oh, I just want to make sure that I'm on the same page here. So last week, um, Kurt encouraged us to shift from what we believe we can do for our Lord and to be able to do even more. And we looked at Isaiah, and looking at Isaiah as he was called to serve the Lord, we learned that we need to be shifting our perspective, that we are not competent and not capable to realizing we're fair, we are fully capable and fairly competent, fully competent, to recognize that God has given us the gifts that he wants us to use to further his ministry for his kingdom, to not be afraid at all about maybe taking a risk or two and trying out what God may be sharing with us to try. Well, this morning we're looking at shifting our ability to see pain. Now, I, I said hi to Terry Von Stein, and he said, is this just because I had knee surgery the other day? And no, it's not. But I'll guarantee if you bump his knee, you're going to see pain. <laughs> Good to see you here, Terry. Yeah, we know that others had surgery last week as well. So this morning we're going to be looking at shifting our ability to see pain. And we're going to be looking at shifting our hearts so we begin to see that pain, but then moving to the next level of shifting our feet to begin to find solutions for that pain, addressing the pain that we see and we feel and we sense. It was 1997, Mary Kay and I were ministering at a church in Tucson, Arizona, and I led my first international mission trip. Leading may not necessarily be the right phrase. We got through it. But it was the very first one we did. Mary Kay was part of the team. Our daughter Kirsten was part of the team of 10 people who went to Tegucigalpa, Honduras. Tegucigalpa, Honduras. That's, that's like some of the words you used last week. Uh, Tegucigalpa, Honduras. And we offered bare minimum dental care and even worse construction and painting techniques. We did this for five days in a Christian center in Tegucigalpa, and this Christian center was connected to the Heifer Project, which was absolutely wonderful to see the Heifer Project on site doing what the Heifer Project does. After five days of very sweaty, mosquito-type ministry, we were given what often happens in mission trips, a prize. And the prize was a day driving north along the Guatemalan border to a Mayan ruin at Capan. Now, this drive was about four-plus hours, and it went over the very best of roads in Honduras, which would be the worst of roads we have here, to single-track, rutted, gravel, dirt, muddy roads. Now, from the moment we entered Honduras, we learned one very basic rule. Never walk or drive at night. Never walk or drive at night. It simply was too dangerous. 
And so we went to Capon. We had a wonderful time of relaxing. There was some shopping going on. Looked at the Mayan ruins. And we took off a little later than we'd hoped to come back to Tegucigalpa before we'd be flying out the next day. And uh, we had a stop that wasn't expected. And uh, then we were driving. We're about an hour from Tegucigalpa. It's, it's dusk. It's dusk. And we blow a rear tire in our not-so-new missionary van. Now, we have a spare, and we have a lug wrench. We think we're in great shape, so all of us get out, our translator, our uh, mission host, our driver, Honduran driver, and he gets out the lug wrench, and he begins to work the lugs on the tire. Now, there's some very basic rules that almost all of us should know. Righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. Righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. He did righty-loosey. Broke the lug wrench. Now, we're along this road, it's now getting darker, and cars are just driving by and driving by. We're there about 10 minutes, and somebody had the most creative suggestion ever, ever, and it should have been me. They said, why don't we pray? (laughs) Good idea. We prayed. By the time we finished Amen, this newer minivan pulls over. This gentleman gets out, probably in his early 40s, and in perfect English, he's Honduran, he asks us if we need help. Yeah, we need help. (laughs) He sees what the situation is. He has his family join us, and it's his wife and the six kids. We quickly named him the Brady Bunch. And... uh, (laughs) He had a lug wrench that worked. He heard the story of righty-tighty, lefty-loosey and the confusion that our driver had. So he changed the tire for us. Truly a gift. And as we got to know them a little bit over the half an hour we were together, realized he shared with us that he went to school um, in the United States and he was working for a U.S. corporation in Honduras. And uh, he loved Jesus. And it was like, God, thank you. Thank you. Now, for us, we're standing there and cars are just going by going by, and finally somebody sees us in need, and then they help us. That's in our first scripture lesson this morning that we read about another person who's alongside a road, and this person is alongside the road, beaten, left half dead, having been robbed. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. This will be starting on page 16, 12 in your pew Bibles, but it'll also be up on the screens. And we know this passage. This is the story of the Good Samaritan, that wonderful parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, I do encourage you to follow along silently as I read aloud. Hear the words recorded by the physician historian Luke. And listen to God's message to you and to me about shifting our hearts and shifting our feet in order to help with the pain in the world. One day, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? The expert answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. This would have been a great spot to stop. It would have been. This would have been a wonderful story. 
But, as the text continues, but the expert wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, um, when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the man, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own docking, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you any extra expense you may have had. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Please join with me in prayer. Ah, gracious, loving God, it is truly a joy to be here, giving you glory and honor, worshiping you with fellow believers, Lord, and those who are on the journey. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, word made flesh. And we thank you for these words of Luke from you, and we pray your Holy Spirit illuminates our hearts and our minds that we might hear the message you have for us, Lord, and we might apply it in our lives each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Boy, do we know this story. Absolutely a wonderful story. Jesus is teaching, and an expert in the law may also consider him to be a Pharisee. Uh, Isn't just asking a question because he is inquisitive mind and wants to know. No, he wants to test Jesus and says, so what do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus doesn't answer the question right away. He goes, time out. Why don't you tell me what you think the law says? And the man answers perfectly. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and Jesus says, you get an A plus for that one. A plus. Do that and you're going to live. Do that and you're going to live. And then, like I said, what a great spot to have stopped that story. But the expert in the law just didn't want to do that. Text says he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to look better than Jesus is another way of putting that. And so he says, so who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And you know, that's a critical question. Who is my neighbor? Because if we're going to shift our hearts and shift our feet to begin to have pity and concern and care for those who are hurting, and then we're going to begin to take action, we need to know who our neighbors are. Who are our neighbors? Well, Jesus doesn't answer the expert in the law's question. No, he shares a parable, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, and it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. A man was traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, that's, a, that's an interesting phrase because we're talking down to Jericho from Jerusalem. Jericho is about 800 feet below sea level, and Jerusalem's eh, around 2,500, 3,000 foot above sea level. That's a long drop in about 18 miles down to Jericho. Jericho Road was seen as being very, very dangerous, um, kind of like being in Honduras. You didn't walk at night or ride the donkey at night down the Jericho Road. It was so dangerous that the Romans would often have sentries posted along the route to protect their trade routes, to protect their supplies. And our text tells us that a man was robbed. 
beaten, left half dead alongside the road. Everybody okay? Anybody recognize the scream? They'll take care of it. (laughs) And uh, the text tells us that some people came by this man laying alongside the road, left half dead. There may have been many more who came by, but Jesus just tells us about three. The first one's a priest. And it's interesting, it says the priest was going down the road. So he too was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. (laughs) And he looked and walked to the other side to avoid the man in the ditch. Next person's a Levite. A Levite does the exact same thing. He sees a man in a ditch, walks by the other side. Now, some uh, experts say that the Levite and the priest were going to Jerusalem, and if they had touched that man's blood or if he had been dead, they would have been unclean and not able to do their tasks in the temple in Jerusalem. But that's not the case because they were going down from Jerusalem just like the man was going down. They made a choice not to shift their heart. They saw a person in need and intentionally walked around that person in need. You know, as you look about who our neighbor is, I'll admit something to you, and I'm sure some of you may have done the same thing. Somebody's in an intersection, they have the sign that says, vet, need food. And I'll park in such a way that I don't have to make eye contact with that individual. Who's my neighbor? Or maybe we're walking downtown Seattle and we see somebody asking for money alongside the sidewalk and we end up crossing the street a little bit ahead of time to go back to avoid making eye contact with that individual. Who's my neighbor? Maybe there's somebody who has a different skin color than ours and they have a need and we decide... We're not going to try to even address it because they're not our neighbor. Who is our neighbor? Now, those listening to Jesus sharing this parable most likely would have expected that the third person, usually this would come in threes, would be a Jew who would come in and rescue the day. Probably a Pharisee, another expert in the law. No issues about whether they were going to be ceremonially unclean. Just allow that person to rescue and save the day. But Jesus, Jesus does just the opposite as he tells this wonderful parable. He says, a Samaritan comes. A Samaritan. Now, Samaritans were despised. They had some Jewish traditions, but they kind of had a lot of other traditions. Jews despised Samaritans so much, rather than taking the short route from Jerusalem to, say, Galilee, They would take two or three days more traveling, going down to Jericho and along the Jordan River, just to avoid coming in contact with any Samaritan at all. Nada. No Samaritan. And here Jesus uses Samaritan as the best example, the good example. And the Samaritan comes by, sees the man, his heart is shifted, he has compassion for this person. He has compassion. The first step was his heart shifted. But he did more than that. He shifted his feet. He went and helped the man. With oil and with wine and with bandages, the best of medicine they had at that time, he bandages up the wounds. 
He doesn't stop there and say, go and be healthy. He then puts the man on his own donkey and takes him to an inn, cares for him in the evening. Next day, he offers money to the innkeeper to continue to take care of that man. And if that's not enough, he offered to pay even more if it costs more to take care of that man in the future. He shifted his heart to see the need, shifted his feet to begin to take care of that need. Jesus then asked the expert of law, so who is the neighbor to the one in need? The expert in law, because he despised Samaritans so much, couldn't even say the Samaritan. He simply said, the one who had compassion and mercy on the one in need. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Who's our neighbor? Who has needs out there? Where do our hearts have to be shifted and our feet shifted to begin to address the needs that we see instead of potentially walking around them? Now, sometimes, sometimes when we shift our hearts and shift our feet, it's more than simply helping a little bit. Sometimes we're asked to go even deeper, to become even more involved. There's another parable. It's called the parable of the river. You'll never find this in Scripture, but it's a wonderful parable. It's a story of a village alongside a, a river. The villagers were good, and life at the village was good. One day, a villager saw a baby floating down the river. The, the villager swam out, rescued the baby, and the villagers took care of that baby. The next day, the same villager saw two babies floating down the river. He called for help, and they were able to rescue the two babies. The third day, there were four babies floating down the river, and they began to see a problem here, so they developed a watch system so they could see if babies were coming down, and they'd have a, a signal so people who were trained to swim out into the river could save babies, and they saved baby after baby after baby. Not every baby was saved, but they saved many, many babies, and they felt good about saving babies floating down the river. The priest even blessed them for all of their good efforts. One day, someone said, why are the babies coming down the river? Maybe we need to send a team upriver to find out how they get in the river in the first place. You know, sometimes we do ministry without ever quite getting to the root cause of it. And maybe God's gifted us to get to that root cause. Maybe in the smallest of ways, God might have gifted us to get in to that root cause. Kelly, I was going to share later on about how Faith Covenant helps so much in, in uh, ministering in different ways, and, and your ministry in Africa is a great one. But here, there's a root cause, really, really bad toilets. You fixed a few toilets. That's a root cause, and we're able to do it through your help and the help of others. It was accomplished. Now, the last church that we served about eight years ago, it was a Sunday after Christmas, the lowest attendance Sunday next to the Sunday after Easter. You know, if you're a missionary or you're a speaker, you never want to speak at those Sundays because nobody's there. And those are the Sundays that people like me get to preach. Associate pastors, transitional pastors, those are our Sundays because lead pastors are exhausted. So a family asked if they can come and share. They were doing a three-year mission with Kids Alive, an international ministry helping the least of these children. And I said, it's a Sunday after Christmas. Nobody's going to be there. You're going to drive up from the Barry up to Lake Tahoe. It's going to be snowy. Are you kidding? They went, well, it's the only Sunday we have. We'd love to do it. 
So this wonderful family spoke and shared about this ministry in Harabacoa, Dominican Republic. Let's see, Harabacoa, Dominican Republic, Tegucigalpa. These are just not the names that roll off our lips. Spanish, there we go. And how they were caring for about 500 kids, 80 in an orphanage, which was set up with eight or 10 orphans with a core family and a house and a number of houses where they had two different schools of about 200 kids each offering a Christ-centered education in a country where education is at a premium and most kids never made it through elementary school. And they were sharing how they used Hondurans to, excuse me, Hondurans, wrong country, Dominicans to teach and that the missionaries simply helped and there were resources. They shared how the food program was wonderful and how some of these kids were getting a hot lunch. It might be the only meal they received a day. They had a pediatrician on staff and that they had a nurse on staff But they said the critical need for this one ministry in this one community, Harabakoa, was dental care. Dental care. The kids' teeth were rotting out when they were their baby teeth, and their permanent teeth were coming in rotten. It was like, unfortunately, so many countries, water was unbelievably filthy, and water and big bottles of sugary soda cost about the same. And so these kids were just living on sugary soda, Almost all of them had low-grade infections because of it. And there's one little girl that we got to know that the infection was so bad, it actually impacted her heart, and she almost died. Almost died. And our folks were listening to this story, and a couple of them came up afterwards and said, we can do something about this. I'm going, what can we do about it? I don't even know where Dominican Republic is, let alone Harabakoa. Couldn't even pronounce it, let alone spell it and say it. And, and they kept talking, and so we invited the missionaries over and a couple of folks from our church, and we talked over lunch after worship, and a new ministry was hatched. We were going to take a dental team to Harabacoa, Dominican Republic, once we figured out where it was, and we were going to do dental care. Ten months later, we took a dentist, two hygienists, a good support team, and we offered dental care to 200 kids. Most of it was extractions in dental education, taking care of pain. And then we scheduled what we're going to do it the next year. And we touched almost 400 kids the next year. Almost every kid in that ministry in Harbaco were touched. And we realized we could be doing this every year to the same place, but we weren't getting to the root cause. They needed dentists there. Now, this ministry is absolutely wonderful. They had sponsorships for kids to get through elementary school and, um, in a sense, what high school would be. In high school, there would be like equivalent to a college education for us here, sadly. But they had a couple of kids who wanted to go to medical school and dental school. Now, that doesn't mean you do eight years. You do four years after high school. So if you decide you're going to go to Dominican Republic for like major surgery or dental care, think twice. But it's better than none. And two kids who went from the orphanage through the schools said, I want to go... To, to college. I want to do medical school. Another one said dental school. And their commitment was, we will come back one day a week and take care of all the kids who are just like us. And a member of our team the second year said, I can fund the education of that girl who wants to go to dental school. We went back a third year, a fourth year, a fifth year. The team went back last year after we left, and they don't have to go back again. They don't have to go back to Dominican Republic because that young lady finished dental school. They have a dental clinic filled with all kinds of stuff we left over the years. Others come in and help occasionally, but the root problem was taken care of. 
Some folks' hearts were shifted, their feet were shifted, and a long-term solution was found. So what's that team doing now? They're going to Belize. And they'll go to Belize for one, two, three, four, five years, maybe six, until they figure out a way to work themselves right out of a job. Shifted heart, shifted feet, longer-term solutions. We've been blessed to be here back since uh, October, and to be able to see how God operates and works through Faith Covenant has been a joy. Uh, Kelly's comments were absolutely wonderful. It sounds like it was a second time going to Africa. But I know many of you have also gone to Central America and put home or stoves in shacks because without the stove and the shack, all the smoke just stayed in the shack and people were having lung problems. Um, others have done other ministries internationally. You support folks in Colombia and China and other places locally. My goodness, you are... You're feeding the hungry through Faith Covenant. You're involved in the food bank. You're helping a daffodil. If there's a need of of someone in the neighborhood, you're there with feet on the ground helping those people. There's so much ministry that you all are doing. The question as we're going through this visioning strategic plan is, what does God want us to do next? Does God want us to maybe do more ministry? When we look at pain and struggle and suffering in the world, or, or maybe what God's saying to us is do less. That's a hard thing to say, but maybe do less and be more focused. I don't know. But what is God saying to us? What is God saying to you about who your neighbor is? Who is that person that we've been called to help? And sometimes I think, oh gosh, there's just too many problems out there. I can't help a bit but maybe we can help just one person. Maybe our heart could shift for one person and our feet shift for one person to make a difference in one person's life. Just maybe. I want to finish with a well-known passage. It's Micah 6.8. It's going to be up on the screen. Um, It's on page 1447, but it's so much easier to, to read it on the screen. And this really is a summary of what Jesus shared in that wonderful parable of the Good Samaritan. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. To act justly, to shift your feet, to love mercy, to shift your heart, and to walk humbly with your God, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your strength, your whole being. We think about shifting our ability to see others' pain and struggles. It is shifting feet and shifting our hearts. Amen.